Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-hosts, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, June 1st, 2020. And I don't need to tell you folks, there's been a lot going on in the world these days. And Marvel Entertainment, to its credit, never shies away from these sorts of things. Marvel typically likes to use its comics to comment on the real world. But this time around, it wasn't the comics. Marvel Studios chose to go on Twitter to let the world know where it stood in regard to George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. So you want to let our listeners know what they said? They said, we stand against racism. We stand for inclusion. We stand with our fellow black employees, storytellers, creators, and the entire black community. We must unite and speak. You're going to be doing something special at the end of this episode. Do you want to talk about that? Most instances would call for a moment of silence. Sometimes an offense is greater and it calls for more than just a moment. We will be adding a full eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence to honor a man's life at the end of the show today. Now, again, folks, I know you don't come here looking for in-depth discussion of current events. You're most likely here because you want some sort of temporary respite from what's going on in the real world. So let me channel my inner Stanley and say enough said for now anyway. And let's pivot to this part of the podcast that I know Aaron loves because I get to talk about how he was right about something. Do we have a countdown clock, Jim, for when Marvel has the rights to start working on Daredevil property? Or are we just going to shoehorn them in with Spidey and then worry about the rest later? What's the take right now? Well, okay, to just give folks a little bit of background here before we launch into that. Remember, back in November of 2018, Netflix canceled Daredevil after three seasons. And that was largely because Disney Plus was looming and Netflix didn't want to necessarily promote Disney's efforts. But under the terms of the contract, the rights to each of the Marvel characters covered by this deal would revert to Marvel Entertainment two years after each of the individual series were canceled. And and as Aaron was mentioning, we really should have set up a, a countdown clock. But thankfully, the, the nice folks over at Heroic Hollywood did that for us in an article last week. They pointed out that it's now been 19 months since Daredevil was canceled by Netflix, which means that the television rights to this comic book character revert to Marvel in just five months' time. That would be November of this year. Now, what's significant about that is the third Spider-Man movie, uh, Home Something, I I think (laughs) uh, you were the one, Aaron, who was was floating Home Run, I believe? No, no, work from home. Hmm? I was saying it was, I I was going to say because of COVID, it was going to be Spider-Man work from home. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's, oh, I wish I had that one in the pool. Well, anyway, according to Tom Holland, that's still on track to start shooting in July of this year. But as Aaron mentioned, COVID-19 has kind of complicated that situation. But when production of this John Watts movie is supposed to wrap, which is November of this year. And if you remember how Spider-Man Far From Home uh, ended, you had J. Jonah Jameson on his DailyBugle.com publicly outing Peter Parker as Spidey. Well, supposedly over the course of this movie, Peter's life gets very complicated. 
to the point that he, uh, Aunt May decides that she needs to hire an attorney. And which lawyer does she get for her nephew? Peter's attorney is supposedly Matt Murdock. So if that actually does manage to go forward, and remember, uh, there's a lot of really carefully planned story arcs that Marvel Cinematic Universe had set up that were thrown for a loop by, you know, the coronavirus. Although that could work out in our favor, right? Mm -hmm. Because if time had marched on the way intended, Mm -hmm. Black Widow would be in the rearview mirror by now, right? It would. So maybe because everything is slowed down, Mm -hmm. it gives time for the defenders to catch up Mm -hmm. contractually so that when they start writing the rest of the MCU again, Mm -hmm. these characters will be able to more readily rejoin the uh, MCU in a more significant way without, you know, we, we don't want to hold the bus for them, but now that the bus has already been held due to a traffic jam, mm-hmm. it's like, well, hop on, guys. Let's go to the destination together. I think that could work out I'm if uh, I'm they look at it that way. Yeah. Now, now, speaking of which, though, Spider-Man Home Something is supposed to be out theaters July 16th, 2021. How about homeschool? Can we call it Spider-Man Homeschool? Okay, we got to get a list going, because again, the pool, you know, I I definitely want to get in on this. But on the last show, you were asking about Morbius. So we got Morbius opening January 19, 2021. Venom, Let There Be Carnage opens June 25th, that same year. Spider-Man Home Something comes out on July 16th, 2021. So there's literally just three weeks between the Venom sequel and what effectively is Spider-Man Home 3. And then to jump ahead to April of 2022, that's when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2 comes out. Are any of them connected at all? One of the ways they're getting away with having just three weeks' time separate uh, Let There Be Carnage and the third Spidey movie is that Tom Holland evidently makes a pretty sizable cameo appearance in this thing there may actually be a direct step down from one film to the other. Step down would be an accurate term. But <laughs> but that's four Spidey films inside of less than 13 months. Ain't nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, well, first of all, you have to assume that, uh, well, okay, so the, the Spider-Man, first off, Sony had tried to come up of, about a month ago with the names for their universe, mm-hmm. and it was the Sony pictures universe of marvel characters which is abbreviated to spunk (laughs) so good one on that sony so taking a good look at this pile of spunk okay wow um if if venom if if both morbius and venom don't have a significant spider-man thing Mm -hmm. uh, is the mainstream audience gonna say oh well there's a spider-man related movie Mm -hmm. when i when i look at morbius and i clearly see a vampire Mm -hmm. is there anything about that that says Mm spider-man not really i mean i i do agree Mm -hmm. it's a spider-man related character Mm -hmm. a nemesis if you will so that's fine Mm -hmm. i ain't got no qualms or beasts with that Beyond that, Jim, have you heard about the Madam Web movie that they're cooking up? I'm saving that for later in the show, but please. Who see. wants it? That's all I want to know is who the hell asked for it? The folks at Sony point to the popularity of Spider-Gwen. There's a complete difference between these two characters. Mm-hmm. That's like saying uh, my wife likes plants and therefore I point to Swamp Thing and say <laughs> adopt a monster from the swamp and that's supposed to work? Again, as it's been explained to me, 
they have a script in-house for Madam Web that kind of blew everybody's mind. And evidently it's so strong, they actually offered it to Charlize Theron and Amy, uh, Amy Adams. You know, you have to remember we are now in the post Joaquin Phoenix Joker era where when somebody says we have a superhero movie, it's like, ooh, you mean like could win best actor or best picture? If anyone had remembered or had seen her from the cartoons, I think that in the 90s, mm-hmm. she was a cool addition mm-hmm. because, A, we always need more female heroes. Mm-hmm. But this character in the cartoons and in the comics, I'm assuming they have radically changed her because back then she was she was different. She, I don't think she was just like a normal person. She was blind mm-hmm. and she was immobilized. Mm-hmm. And so Peter had to go to her and he would ask her like a question and she would give some like vague prophecy. Mm -hmm. She was a lot like the Oracle from the Matrix. Mm -hmm. That's the character that she is. Okay. And I don't see like the Matrix working based off of just the Oracle Mm -hmm. making a prediction sitting in her kitchen. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm having the confusion with this character and like how, how did you make a movie off of someone who makes predictions who has no mobility and no sight because they're locked in one central location or how have you revised the character so dramatically that they can now just go investigate? What is, I don't get, I have no idea what they're going to do with this character. It is so foreign to what I know from the character that I just can't conceive of what they're going to do. That's why I'm dumbfounded right now, Jim. Okay. I get that. I do. And let's remember like two years ago that the the script for Joker leaked and there were a lot of people who when reading that and it's like, okay, this is a, you know, a Batman movie without Batman in it. How does that work? And obviously it works very well. Let me beat the bushes and see if somebody nice at Sony might slip us a copy of Madam Web, and I will in turn slide it to you. And I'll take the elevator pitch. I don't even need the whole script. I'm sure they've got that under lock and key. I just want someone to go, all right, here's the deal. Okay. We put her in spandex. She now runs across <laughs> rooftops and slings from a web just oh. like Spidey does. And that's how, because remember that you did say that they pointed to Spider-Gwen as being a, a cool and hip thing. They did. So they I, did. I could totally see them going, okay, well, let's say that we need a mentor, uh, an adult supervisor figure for a young up-and-coming teenage Spider-Gwen. Mm. So let's give her a Madam Web that it has all of her abilities, all of her faculties, and then maybe she can encounter Spider-Gwen. Maybe something happens to Madam Web where she ends up becoming immobilized to a terrible accident or a battle, mm. and then she ends up becoming what I end up knowing mm. as Madam Web. Maybe that's how they're going to play it. Okay. Okay, well, all, all interesting ideas, but like I said, if, it, if there's a kind person at Sony that wants to sort of illuminate things to me and Aaron, please feel free to reach out. Now to double back to, again, you were talking about, you know, Morbius and Let There Be Carnage and Spider Homecoming, whatever, about connective tissue. And, and we kind of overlooked one of the, the more obvious ways they could do that, which is, of course, J.K. Simmons' take on J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, let's face it, that scene at the end of Spider-Man Far, Far From Home just, you know, kicked that movie right into the stratosphere. And just recently, J.K. admitted that, yeah, I am now under contract to Sony and Marvel Studios to play J. Jonah 
in uh, some other movies. But at the same time, he said, well, look, I don't know if the word I'd use is expect me to show up. You know, it's that, yes, there's a contract, but at the same time, Sony's under no obligation to actually shoehorn Simmons' version of J. Jonah into any of these movies. But at the same time, he, he talked about in an interview with Entertainment Weekly about how it's great to have the opportunity that the, as the way the things have evolved here to be one of the few holdovers from the previous version of Spider-Man. And he talked about how he got initially got the job. Columbia wanted a name for J. Jonah Jameson. You know, again, they were concerned about you know, audiences turning out for a Spider-Man movie. So they wanted somebody who could sell tickets in that role. Sam had worked with JK on some other projects at two previous films and knew what Simmons was capable of, that he could really make J. Jonah fun. So he kept trying to sell the studio, you know, execs on, no, 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 let's, let's go with JK. And finally it came down to, it's like, okay, you know, the only way we're going to sign off on this is if you do a full blown old school in front of the camera test for the role. JK goes in what scene does Sam pick for J.K.'s audition? It's the moment when the Green Goblin has flown his glider, smashing through the windows of the Daily Bugle, and has J.K. by the throat. So he's doing all of his lines with this authentically comical, strangled voice. And that was what Sam brought to the executives at Columbia. It's like, look at how this guy's willing to commit. Look at the torture I'm putting him through to get this part. You know, and he still delivers a funny performance. Let's just hire him. That's how it all came down. So speaking of fun performances, okay, tell me you saw episode one of season seven of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I haven't. Oh. I haven't. Oh. I, have been, I have been honestly truly busy i get it i get it i you know i i know what you and sabrina have been going through lately and and how tough your schedule is and that sort of thing so i i forgive you but you really <laughs> have to watch this because clark greg is having so much fun right now you remember how the last season left off after he played sarge basically the villain of that entire season uh-huh. they bring colson back as a live model decoy Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful about five minutes of disorientation as Agent Coulson is, is coming to terms with the fact that he's now a live model decoy. But then when they're back in 1931 and he's wearing period clothes and he just comes to the realization, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a robot. I can do basically anything. And he, he realizes that as somebody who grew up loving Captain America, he's now a superhero. You know, because of his abilities. Right. And he just basically goes nuts. And, and you, you can definitely see between the period clothes and the new bend on what Coulson can do, but he's still Coulson. It's just an actor who's having a really good time. He just takes us all along for the ride. And, and that coupled with they've really leaned into the production values for this, this last season of the show. The clothes are great. They're mm. actually shooting up on the Disney Ranch at Golden Oaks with the whole cityscape they built there about 10 years ago. So it's wonderful 30s street scenes. And and the cherry on the Sunday is that they brought back Patton Oswald as yet another Koenig, only <laughs> this time he's a bootlegger mob boss. The first episode of the season was called The New Deal, which 
And not to give anything away, but there is, in fact, a cameo by FDR. And next episode is known as Know Your Onions. And this whole through line of the, you know, the only way to save S.H.I.E.L.D. from the the Chromacons is to, by saving Hydra. It looks like it's going to be a fun ride. It looks like it's going to be a great way to cap off the show. Am I going to have to redo my timeline significantly for chronological MCU here in a minute? I have the uneasy feeling that we're jumping to another period. Because I want to say the third episode, I think it's called Kami Aliens from Space. Oh, so that sounds like 50s, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, they shot season six and season seven back to back. So this whole thing has been in the rearview mirror for more than a year for Clark Gregg. But he did an interview about whether or not he was really ready to say goodbye to Coulson. And he Uh, His response was, well, I still have a hard time believing that this happened. I mean, you know, you're standing around craft services when you have a small part for a week or two in Iron Man, and you think, boy, if they just started adding scenes for this guy, wouldn't that be amazing? They really should if they were smart. But that never happens. And so to have that happen and then be at the movies and, and then have them say, oh, you've got a big arc in Avengers. And you're like, what? And after I'm shot in Avengers, I figure, okay, finally Coulson's dead and I'm done with this character. But then Joss Whedon comes and says, no, 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 big secret. You're not dead. You're on television, but it's a mystery. Season one's about how you're not dead and you get a new team of young agents and inexperienced people who become a family to you. And so to have that all happen, that's such a tremendous gift. And then to be able to have this be... A local production with crews at home, which means I get to see my daughter after school every day, not be shooting in another state, but but in Culver City. It was spectacular. I have deep, deep gratitude. And it it will be a sad day when I watch the last episode of this on the air. And and the report at this point points out, you didn't answer the question. <laughs> you know, I mean, are you ready to say goodbye to, to Colson? And, and Greg you know, just decides to have some fun with the guy and says, well, this seems like a good time to announce that I don't really know. You know, I just, look, I'm sorry. That was a little bit quarantine sadism. I, I don't know anything. You know, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where I'd say, nope, I'm too busy to put on whatever the latest version of the suit is and go play Phil Colson. I'm always thrilled when I see them changing timelines and exposing a multiverse in the cinematic universe because I think, well, I've seen scenarios where where Coulson could still be around. So with this character, I've learned never to say never. But, uh, you know, I'm just really grateful for the ride that we've had. And it just I love that that's his attitude. I got a great way for them to wrap it up is uh, because he's now a life model decoy Mm -hmm. back in time. Yep. What if by the time he gets back around mm-hmm. that he's playing himself in uh, Captain Marvel? Oh. And and the Coulson that got killed off is actually the life model decoy. And nobody knows it until the last episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when you realize that his complete story arc is a, is a loop, an unbroken loop. Oof. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right? Wouldn't that be a mind trip? I'm hoping that the writers of season seven came up with something, you know. Calling Dr. Timothy Leary. Calling Dr. <laughs> Timothy Leary. We need more of that mind-altering medicine, please. Uh, well, okay. Time to tune in, tune out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of altering, when we get back from this break, we'll be altering the topic a bit. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about Marvel Superhero Island at Universal's Islands Adventure. Adventures. 
First of all, we had some news just before we got started recording here. Word came out about WandaVision. Somehow, they managed to get everything shot. That The show is officially in the can. They're plugging ahead with the visual effects work. So, you know, it looks like that one will, in fact, be able to make it onto Disney Plus fairly soon. Downside is Wando was supposed to set up the multiverse, which in turn was going to set up Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. And But, right. you know, there was supposed to be this this wonderful connective tissue and feeding directly, and that's all gone out the window. Now it's pulled pork, not really connective <laughs> so much anymore. All right. So, but we, we just had some news about the WandaVision show, and that's yeah. Aaron Johnson, who played Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, has a an unspecified role in yeah. the WandaVision show, which Aaron, you were pointing out, could be could go either way. We've got uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson playing one character, and then they've also said that Evan Peters is going to be in WandaVision, and he also played Quicksilver, except from the Fox universe. So if they were to have him reprise that role, then he would they would they would be acknowledging that that the MCU uh now has X-Men in it mm -hmm. somehow. Mm -hmm. We would have to assume that would be through multiverse, right? That's the only way that I could fathom it mm -hmm. existing. And and then if if he plays somebody else, wouldn't that have to negate the idea? Wouldn't that be Marvel saying, no, no, those Fox films are completely different, right? Well, before you put away your whiteboard there, um, I, you know, that, that, I, I wanted to follow up on your, your chronological Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, project. Cause I, I, oh, it's I a don't... ball of mess. It's horrible. It's all, st it's all sticky and it goes in all different directions and it's a mess in phase three. And I don't, I just don't want to. Okay. All right. Cause I, I want to bring your attention to a gentleman whose name is Tony Goldmark, uh, who goes, uh, -huh. Uh, on Twitter by the handle Beautiful Internet Weirdo because mm -hmm. he's taken what you've been doing about, you know, watch this show, watch that film, that sort of thing, and he's mm -hmm. going down to almost the subatomic level with the idea that he's talking about which individual scenes you should watch in oh. what order to get... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So that starts off the MCU with Thor, mm -hmm. the original Thor, because you spend uh, the introduction of Asgard mm -hmm. gives you a little recap of uh, Odin, mm -hmm. all father. That dude's old. Yep. He's the beginning. And then you've got... Uh, remember, we were talking about the one-shots, mm -hmm. and we were just talking about Coulson mm -hmm. in Iron Man 2. Colson comes up to Stark and says, hey, they found something in New Mexico. I got a split. And he takes off right in the middle of Iron Man 2. Mm -hmm. Then you can play the one shot. And that's Colson driving across the desert that is entitled something funny happened on the way to Thor's hammer. Mm -hmm. Then you can start playing Thor, the first movie. And now you've got to edit somehow Thor and the end of Iron Man 2 somewhere parallel to one another oh. oh boy that gets sticky as well mm -hmm. but that's a fun project i i can't wait to see what his solution to a lot of these little problems are because there are there are a lot of little segments of movie that get chunked out and and moved in time not to further complicate everyone's life here but there was I, i'm blanking the name of the listener i apologize but they reached out and and basically asked 
Is Aaron taking into account what's going to happen when the Eternals arrives? Because isn't the whole point of the Eternals that they live a really long time and they witness a lot of things? Yeah, because that's going to be like a, one movie is going to supposed to span like 10,000 or 100,000 years or something. So that's awesome that that will uh, then predate the Odin Sun intro we had with Thor, which is a new addition to the timeline. And somehow we'll have to end it after after Endgame or after Spider-Man Homecoming. So that's going to be. That's going to be one story that is chopped up into a billion little pieces mm. and spread out over a long time. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting how malleable the MCU has become mm -hmm. with that film. All right, folks. So this is a work in progress. and <laughs> We will try to get uh, Aaron uh, Tony Goldmark. Because, again, he's, he is just starting on this as well. So. Maybe. I've actually got a rough cut of what he did mm -hmm. from, I, I can't remember when I left off, but it was well before we got to Infinity War. Uh, wow. But I did have like the entire, exactly what he's doing scene by scene by scene. And and the, you'll notice last time we uh, met face to face, I had thinning hair. Mm -hmm. That was part of that project. <laughs> or result, whatever, you know. Now, now speaking of projects, folks, I, I want to apologize on our last show. We were talking about Marvel Superhero Island and that I had gone there over the last couple of years or so and taken all sorts of photos of the Marvel characters that were there with the idea that with your help, we'd be able to put together a definitive uh, guide of, of which characters were in fact in this master licensing agreement. I have 130 some odd photos formatted and... We're going to get back to the uh, the Marvel Superhero Island stuff right after this show posts. So I thought uh, to sort of get everybody back in the mood, I wanted to share some quick stories I have about Marvel Superhero Island that I think will give you a, a new appreciation for this or, you know, kind of hopefully surprise you. Like first and foremost, the man in charge of this project, the guy who was really riding herd since 1993 on the Islands of Adventure project, and when Marvel Superhero Island came in, he was the guy who had to figure out how to make it work. This guy was Scott Trowbridge, who just did Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. He was also initially in on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. In fact, it was the success of that project that really made Disney go, Scott, can you come here and work with us? You know, we got this Star Wars thing we want to do. But he talks about... You know, when they initially began working on uh, Superhero Island, he said the concept development of Superhero Island was a tricky one to pull off because there really isn't one look to Marvel. There's a multitude of looks. Each artist has his or her own style. Gene Nolman, uh, the art director on this island, spent a significant amount of time looking at things like color palette, scale, the interplay of things like super graphics, the, the larger characters on the island, and the building signage uh, to try to represent three-dimensionally, what had always been two-dimensionally. Islands of Adventure doesn't open until May of 1999. It's, not a, it's nine years later that we get our first MCU film, Iron Man. That's one of the reasons today when people walk in and it's like, well, I know Marvel from the movies. Why doesn't this look like this? Or more to the effect, why doesn't this look like the comic books of today. And it's just like, well, this is what they were working with back in the 90s when they started. The design of the island that they decided early on 
they'd go with kind of a Main Street USA look. It's a series of storefronts. You know, they, they, they mind you, they all have generic names. Like, the bank is literally said bank. Instead of ignoring all of the artists, mm-hmm. if they would have embraced them, if, can you imagine a Jack Kirby lane where it's a little MC Escher, like the lines aren't perfectly mm-hmm. at 90 degrees and it gives you kind of a off-kilter mm-hmm. kind of feel? or embracing like a a John Romita. Mm -hmm. And that I think when I think of John Romita, I usually think of the 60s -hmm. and 70s. -hmm. So that means that I would do like a a retro pop style Mm -hmm. in a little shop Mm -hmm. or something. But, you know, give each artist a nod somehow because their art was what influenced the MCU. If you ignore all the artists, all of the people who made the visual images, then you're not using any of the visual representation outside of, uh, well, there's a guy in spandex. They did eventually settle on one artist. But the thing is, remember, this is, you know, you know, the Island has to start construction 97, 98, so right. they they lock the look in pretty much in 96, and they go with, um, there's a Marvel vet, his name is Adam Kubert. Are, are you sure? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so Adam is hired to design 22 of what they're called the super graphics. In fact, that's the other conceit of the land, is that you're walking through when you have this this Main Street, you know, USA kind of thing going on. But just above your eye line are these supersized dimensional pieces that Adam has drawn. You have Cap, who's slung his vibranium shield, uh, you know, to bounce off of Modoc. Or you have the Green Goblin, who's hurling pumpkins off of his goblin glider, headed toward uh, Spidey. Or Doc Ock is down on the ground and, you know, with his arms is sort of tearing apart a sign. So they hire Adam, and he's... You know, I've never done pieces of this size, and I'm really f- looking forward to doing it and showing it off to my family. And they said they're all like, well, that's great. But Adam, you can't sign this stuff. We're doing this for Universal, and you're representing all of Marvel. And it's honor enough that you get selected to do this. And Adam's like, I can't sign him. Watch me. If you go into the park and you stand there long enough and look at the, you know, each of these characters, you will find Adam's signature worked in somewhere to their outfit, uh, which I kind of love that he, that they're hit, all his signatures are hidden in plain sight. Now that you're talking about this, mm-hmm. I'm getting all excited for the, the Avengers campus thing. Mm-hmm. And you've been watching the Mandalorian special effects oh, sure, thing yeah, that comes yeah, out, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. We've we've talked about the the volume mm-hmm. as a special effects making thing. Yep. I really want to be able to go into this new Avengers campus, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to look out a window or think I'm looking out a window, mm-hmm. and have the Green Goblin fly by on a gl- on a on a glider. Isn't there a Jurassic Park ride where as, as you go by, there's a the a underwater dinosaur that's just whale yes, size? Yes, yes, right. So, but but again, that's. The most recent update. Uh, yeah. They took the Jurassic Park ride and made it the Jurassic World ride. But yeah, no, no, that, that's amazing. See, like you and, yeah, you and Len were talking about like on sunny days, you'll get sunshine. Mm-hmm. On rainy days, you'll get rain droplets on the water, but it, it sells the illusion. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to just have uh, a meet and greet with Spider-Man. Yeah, it's great to have a photo op. Yeah. That's cool. But if I'm going into a diner, I would love for a battle to happen outside of what I think is my window mm-hmm. that I'm looking out of, you know, and, and be completely fooled by that. 
I have heard they have play tested this as part of the the campus. There is this ruin, which is where the like you'll do the uh, Doctor Strange experience. Uh-huh. And evidently they they play tested this. I got just you know, you know the moment in Doctor Strange where he he does the particular hand gesture and forms a shield. Yep. Evidently as part of this ruin, the Disney cast member who's playing Doctor Strange will perform this gesture and you will actually see the shield form in front of him. This was designed before there was a coronavirus. So mm-hmm. the idea was that is, you know, your child or you, the adult who loves Doctor Strange, would stand next to him and watch him do the gesture and make the exact same gesture and in the air in front of you, the very same shield would form. That'd be cool. Yeah. It's a use of projection technology coupled with, I guess, the way the ruin is set up, coupled with the fact that, I guess... They can do kind of a mist effect that allows a laser effect to to appear in the air in front of you. Now, can you imagine if you're sitting down at a table with your family, you're getting ready to have dinner, Mm -hmm. and a portal opens up, and (laughs) Dr. Strange comes out, takes your order, steps back, the portal closes, and you're looking off into a field. You're like, what the hell was that? Uh, Conversely, though, I don't know if you ever saw on Adult Swim, Robot Chicken at one point, this wonderful parody of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they just basically, you know, reference to the effect of, you know, hey, did Iron Man just fly by? Yeah, you missed him. <laughs> you know, just sort of <laughs> right by the window there. You know, it's like, oh, too bad. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, to get back to uh, quickly to Marvel Superhero Island, they made, you know, some some fascinating choices. I mean, uh, for example, uh, if you walk, again, you're walking down that main street and you're looking at Adam's giant supersized uh, super graphics of the, the characters. It's all got a bi- vibrant palette, but you mentioned how you'd love to have a Kirby street. Oh, they actually have what they refer to as a villain alley. It's what you go down to do Dr. Doom's Fearful. But in order to set you up to the fact that, okay, this is the, the other side of the track, so to speak, for Marvel Super Island. This is where the villains hang out. So the colors have more an acidic tone, but Scott and the team were sitting around thinking about the, the Marvel villains, and it's like, well, you know, they're, they always seem to be in such a rush. So it's like, I want the lights to look up, look like they were put up haphazardly by somebody who was about to unveil their evil plan. And so, you know, the, you can't have nicely positioned lights. Everything's got to look kind of haphazard. It's good thing that we're not doing DC because they'd have like this little, you know, dark alley and it would be a, a photo op oh, for mom and dad to take no. the kids. Oh, yeah. And- <laughs> No. You know where I'm going with this, right? Oh, yes. You know, you, so you walk down the street and there are, what, individual little pearls scattered around. Yeah, right? exactly. Sarah, are you wearing your pearls? I'll be damned if I'm walking down that street, Henry. Jeez. <laughs> wow. My mother is Martha, too. Yeah, exactly. We had to do the Martha joke. Thank you, Jim. All Thank right. You. Okay. So anyway, obviously, again, back to Marvel Superhero, you know, as you're, you come off of the main drag, the, the port of entry at the park, and you make the left to Mar, you know, the first thing you see, of course, is, you know, the Hulk coaster. But Scott really was of two minds. You know, he said, you know, we wanted the Hulk to be a major part of the island, uh, not just because of the the comics, but also 
the TV series from the 1970s. And what do we do with the Hulk? You know, he's an icon of Marvel. He's this great character, but he's raw energy. He's all these, uh, you know, primal feelings. And we wanted to deliver on that idea. And that's why we decided, well, it's got to be a roller coaster because it fits the park. It delivers on the Hulk myth. And, and there's absolutely nothing intellectual about it. The balancing act was that they wanted the Hulk to be one of the icons of the park, but at the same time, they didn't want the ride to dominate the park. They didn't want people to think of this is the islands of Hulk coasters. So it was this, you know, weird balancing act that was going on. And and I know we didn't talk about the amazing Spider-Man ride, folks, uh, but we'll save that for another show because, you know, right now we'll, we'll be putting up those photos. And again, if you can help us, Part of the problem is you'll have like Iron Man on the side of a building, but then you'll have Iron Man inside of a restaurant as a piece of art in there, or you'll have him in a merch thing. And I, I began to realize it's like, really, I, you know, I don't want to waste people's time. So it's pulling the more obvious ones out of the pile. There are things on the other hand here where characters I can't even begin to identify. And some of that is because... It's the early 90s, you know, sometimes the, the, the 80s and the 70s take on the characters. And it's just sort of like, who am I looking at here? But until that's getting going, I've got to remember there are other podcasts to listen to here in the Jimmy Hill Media Podcast Network. We've got Disney Dish with Len Testa. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And I want that with Shelley Valladolid. Uh, if you get head over to iTunes and rate and recommend this show, get over to Bandcamp and subscribe if you want to keep tabs on what we're up to and again that's where these photos are going to start going up uh we'll be doing it on twitter and instagram and that's under jim hill media then over on facebook it's jim hill media news and now folks we'd like to close out today's show by honoring the memory of george floyd by uh providing you with eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence <laughs>